maybe there is like a Blue Jays way of just going out there and punishing offensively. Well, it's also life in the American League East, right? If, okay. if, yeah. if, if you can't bang, you're not going to win in this division, right? Like, Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design in St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week here at a place that I keep wanting to call Sky Dome, but I shouldn't, right? I shouldn't? Well, a lot of people here still call it Sky Dome. It, it was renamed the Rogers Center in 2006 or late 2005, but... The people who have been longtime Blue Jay fans aren't letting Skydome go. I just, I, I guess I've been here more times that it's been Rogers Center than it was Skydome, so I probably should get that right. That's Shai Davidi. He's the senior baseball columnist for Sportsnet. He's been covering the Blue Jays since 2002, and I'm glad I had this chance to talk to you. It's the end of a split series, not just in Toronto, but for the season between these two teams. But so the Cardinals won't see the Toronto again unless it's in the World Series. But there's still a lot to learn from like what Toronto does well. But also I wanted to get your perspective just on what we've all been talking about for the past week. The Cardinals come here without two prominent players, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. They were unable to travel to Toronto because of the vaccination policies that exist on both sides of the border um, and the travel restrictions therein based on the COVID-19 vaccinations. I wondered if you could just kind of give an overview of why it is a competitive disadvantage for the Blue Jays. So much of this conversation is about what's missing from the teams coming here. But there's a real factor in play for Toronto that has influenced this entire season. Yeah, absolutely. A big part of their offseason was figuring out who is vaccinated who is not, and who might be willing to get vaccinated if they were to be acquired either as a free agent or via trade by the Blue Jays. And when you've got a portion of the player population that's cut off to you, you their player pool that they're drawing from is smaller than everybody else's. And that could potentially impact everything from players to the big league roster all the way down to draft picks. If you happen to have someone who doesn't want to get vaccinated, you know, are you going to draft and develop him? And, you know, who knows where the future goes and how long these rules may be in place. But, you know, eventually have to be faced with a prospect who can't join your team. So, you know, that's certainly one significant factor. The other thing is that... I think the Blue Jays kind of roll their eyes a little bit every time there is a complaint about someone not wanting to or not being vaccinated and and looking at this as uh, an unfair advantage for them after all they've been through the past couple of years. You know, 2020, they ended up playing at their stadium in AAA Buffalo after they couldn't come to Toronto and they couldn't come to Pittsburgh and couldn't come to Baltimore after that. That's right. And then... Last year in 2021, again, they couldn't start the season here. They began at their spring training facility in in Dunedin, and that is not a facility to hold Major League Baseball games in, uh, even after it's been very nicely renovated. And then they ended up in Buffalo, and then finally they got back to Toronto on July 30th, the day of the trade deadline last year. So they've been through so much the past couple of years, you know, they really don't want to hear it when other teams are complaining about it. How does it influence the trade deadline? I mean, are they at a, I mean, do they have to 
realize that it might the cost for them might be a little different in trades do they does it does it lead to some awkward questions as to you know medical status for some of these guys i mean everybody wants you know i guess they exchange medicals when you do a trade but this is like another layer to it i mean it almost like changes their shopping list and also the moment it changes their leverage too yeah absolutely and it's not only the the fact that someone may be willing to get vaccinated once they get acquired yeah. they that person you to in order to enter the country you have to be 14 days clear of your second dose so depending on how you're separating the first and second doses if you're going by the generally accepted 21 days you're looking at 35 days in which you need to wait before you're eligible to enter so you know, let's say you're acquired on August 1st, you're not eligible to enter the country until September 1st, and that's half the season. So you're going to miss a bunch of home games as a result of that. Even if you've got one shot, you know, and you don't have your second, you know, the Blue Jays working back, they're on the road to open August on a 10-game road trip. They're not home till August 11th or 12th. So if someone was willing to get their second shot, they'd have to be doing it right about now mm-hmm. in order to be eligible for that first home series back. So it is absolutely a complicating factor. Uh, some players may be willing, some players may not, and the Blue Jays have to figure that out because there's no point in sending a bunch of prospects over for someone who can only play in half your games. A few minutes before we started recording, the Yankees announced that they've acquired Andrew Benatendi, a left-handed outfielder, left-handed hitting outfielder, who would have been a good fit for Toronto, um, but didn't come to Toronto with Kansas City. So already, like, you saw how things were shifting because of, you know, now a rival to the Jays have acquired an outfielder because, what, they have three games remaining in Toronto, the Yankees do. So you can already see how the table wasn't level. Right, and that series isn't until September. So if he chose to get vaccinated now, he'd have enough runway in order to be eligible to enter the country after the fact. And I also think that anybody who's going to be acquired uh, for in, by an American League playoff team you have to think about that. Uh, this applies to all the teams, not just the Blue Jays, but you could very well end up placing the Blue Jays in the postseason. Yeah. And if the Blue Jays, you're in the wildcard route, if they were one of the top wildcard winners and they're hosting a wildcard series, you know, do you want to go into that into a series without that player? So there are a lot of decisions for everybody. It's you know, this applies to any Latin American player who wants to enter the United States, yeah. for instance. Uh, but because Ameri- uh, most of the players in Major League Baseball are American, and they can get in and out of the United States without this mandate. It ends up becoming a bit of a focal point here. Has it been a galvanizing thing for the team at all, or is it a non thing in the clubs in the clubhouse? Well, I guess in a sense that there, anybody who wanted to be on this team knew they had to do it, and. You know, there was you know one player who was on the restricted list, uh, who was traded during spring training, Kirby Snead, who went to Oakland as part of the Matt Chapman deal. You know, he clearly wasn't going to do it, so the Blue Jays had to figure out something that they, to do with him, uh, and they were able to get a return from him. And everybody else, it's like, are you part of this group or not? Are you committed to this team or not? And so, it I guess in that sense, it's been a bit of a galvanizing thing, but. At this point, now that there's back to normalcy, you know, over the past couple of years when they were in their nomadic existence, mm-hmm. it was a bit more of a, 
you know, these are the things that we we're one of 30 facing this and we have to beat all the other teams and overcome this as well. So there was maybe a bit more of a galvanizing feeling around that. This right now is more of a maybe just a speed bump to overcome compared to what they've been through. All that stuff where they were moving around, like you said, the nomadic exists. I find two things fascinating about one is the actual baseball part of it, which is they're doing it in the American League East, which is probably by far the most difficult division, right? I mean, you've seen now, I mean, every team in the division, and you've seen some of these games, and the standings, they all have winning records. I mean, this is this is the most ferocious division in baseball, right? Yeah, I mean, last year, I believe it was the first time that they had uh, four 90-game mm-hmm. winning teams in the same division. It's just an absolute mean gr- meat grinder. And, you know, for the Blue Jays, there's there was a lot of torment at the end of last year when you finish one game short of the playoffs and you just think about over the course of 162 games how many close calls where it's it's really one pitch or one swing that could have made a difference that one really ate away at them but you know I, I do think it became a bit of their identity that they had to overcome more than everybody else and as they were trying to cope with all the different all, all the different elements that they were facing it it became sort of a, a a point of pride that you know we're doing this despite all that and if we were only normal if we could only be normal how much better would we be and i think that was a bit of a refrain after the season you know would they have won one more home game had they been in toronto instead of when they were in dunedin with you know, 2,000 fans, 1,800 of which were Rays fans playing the Rays, yeah, right, and right. people yelling at them. And when you know fans from New York or Boston invaded Buffalo and made it feel like a road game for them, and booed them as they were coming on the field, you know, those are the things that sort of linger for them for sure. And then the other part of it is it's happening at a time when they're they have one of the best young nucleuses of players in baseball. And like the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors and the you know um, well, I guess Bichette and Biggio and you know now Tapia is here, but Lourdes Goriel. I mean, you have all these young players here um, who are establishing themselves as stars or potential stars or contributors to a contender, and they're having to do it in this crucible. I mean, it, this is such an influential part of time in their career, and it's it's going to be like. Maybe it slingshots them to to future greatness because they're they're strengthened by this. Yeah, maybe. And just to underline how weird it's been. So let's look at that that trio you just mentioned of uh, Guerrero, Bichette, and Biggio. All three of those guys broke in in 2019. They didn't have their first opening day in Toronto until 2022. That's unreal, yeah. yeah. And that's just part of what's so bizarre about this, uh, what's been so bizarre about this period. But I, I, I try not to fall into narrative too easily because this is could very easily be something that you're like, oh, it feels like this. But when you endure that kind of – I mean, baseball just is a game, as you well know, that just – it is just abusive to you mentally, right? It's like you're it's you're failing for most of the time, even if you're Mike Trout or Shohei Otani, and you just have to constantly overcome and show the ability to persevere. And 
that got ingrained into the Blue Jays over the past couple of years and right at the beginning of their career. So, you know, what are you going to throw at them later in their career that they haven't already seen when they were kids trying to acclimate to the majors? So, you know, if you're if you're looking for a silver lining, maybe that's it. But then you also think about the just from a grander scale of uh, a period of time where a fan base was separated from its team, the players were separated from their home city, the, lo- the potential damage that could have happened to the franchise if they weren't at a different point, if they were at a point in time where they were the 2019 club that lost 95 games, if they had done that while they were away from the city, how much of a connection would you have lost? How much, how much more difficult would it have been to regain interest for, uh, for the city to regain interest in the team once they got good? You know, all those elements they were very fortunate to avoid. Uh, but you know, maybe if that's the silver lining uh, to it, you know, the, the players are toughened up early on, and that carries them throughout the rest of their careers. I got here and ahead of the the two game series for the Cardinals, so I caught some of the coverage and some of the games where they were playing the Red Sox. Um, so I have approximately seen the Jays score a hundred runs um, because the games replay so often. So maybe two hundred runs because um, I've seen the replays. Is the offense that hot or is it that good? I mean, the offense is definitely hot. I will say that I can't remember a series uh, filled with as poor defense as I saw Fair. By, yeah. by the Red Sox. But, you know, the Blue Jays, full credit to them, I mean, they capitalized on all the opportunities, right? Um, it was already 6 nothing when, you know, Jaron Duran lost the Ramiel Tapia fly ball in center field that ended up becoming an inside-the-park grand slam. And it was already... Uh, was it 12 nothing or something when or 12-2 it's hard to remember there were a lot of runs <laughs> it's yeah, hard to keep yeah. track of them all when uh, that Kevin Ploiecki dropped in that fly ball and 11 more runs scored so you know there was a combination of the Red Sox keeping some innings alive for them but the Blue Jays did a lot of damage that series they were hitting the ball well before that you know they went through uh, that one and nine stretch that ended up leading to Charlie Montoyo's firing, uh, that was that was definitely a blip. They were dealing with some things. They had the tragedy of first base coach Mark Budzinski losing his daughter. There, yeah. were, there were a lot of dynamics at play through what was a, a trying period on a number of different levels. Uh, but this team has scored a lot of runs, and there's still the potential to score more. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is just getting hot right now. Bo Bichette is still just getting hot right now. You know, those guys are still going to put up their numbers. George Springer uh, has been battling through some things physically, and he's starting to look better at the plate. So, you know, this this offense has a chance to be really special for the rest of the season. I always enjoyed coming to Toronto because Cito uh, Gas would be around sometimes, and the whole idea was like that, that it was just like a grip it and rip it lineup. You know, I mean that, that was just like the style, right? Just go out there, and and now there, there's probably just a grip it and rip it era in baseball. Um, but you know, the hitting coaches have come and gone here. The players have come and gone here. Is there something that's just in the water about a hitting approach here? I mean, it seems like the personnel can change, but there is maybe there is like a Blue Jays way of of just going out there and punishing offensively. 
Well, it's also life in the American League East, right? If, okay. if, if, yeah. if you can't bang, you're not going to win in this division, right? <laughs> like, you know, even the Tampa Bay Rays, they'd, for, for, for a long time, they'd been sort of pitching in defense and scrap it out offensively, but they've gone more towards you know trying to get guys who put the ball over the fence, too. And you, you, it's just you've got really good hitting ballparks in each of the five teams, you know, maybe... Tampa is a little bit different. Baltimore, uh, we haven't been out there yet, uh, but we'll, we'll see. What, be interested to see how it plays with the, fen- the new fences and left there. But every team is is built around offense, and it's often hard to get pitching to come to this division in free agency. Uh, you know, one of the as part of the pitch the Blue Jays made to Kevin Gossman, it was kind of like. You want to pitch in the American League East, right? Like you, they were like challenging him to see if like he wanted to take that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Kevin Gossman grew up in the American League East, so he you know he was all all for it and he liked it. So I, I think that's part of the reality. It's a good hitting park, and I mean while while philosophies have changed, the every front office that's been here has really emphasized the need to have good offensive players and. You know, to some degree, you know, they've drafted and developed some good ones too, and signed some good ones. You know, think about uh, even the era after the World Series, where you know you went to you had Carlos Delgado and Sean Green and Shannon Stewart, uh, and then later, you know, Delgado would led to Vernon Wells, and eventually they got lucky a little bit with Jose Batista and Edwin mm-hmm. Encarnacion. But now the new generation is Guerrero and Bichette, so. Uh, they, they've continually been able to produce that type of player, and they've also targeted that type of player because you need that to survive in this division. What do you think makes them successful in producing that type of player, developing that type of player? Because it is something. Well, the Cardinals have done well with pitching. This is that's something that they have really been lacking, and now it's the focal point of what they need. I mean, like a Nolan Gorman who saw a break loose from a skid here, uh, Jordan Walker on the way. A lot of the names that are being kicked around now nationally that everybody's getting a feel for either because of the futures game or because of the Soto conversation. Um, you know, these are the first hitters that the Cardinals really think can produce a homegrown middle of the order. That's not something that they've had really since I mean, you think about it, like Albert Pujols, Matt Carpenter, the late Oscar Tavares was going to be. And I mean, you name like three guys in a generation, in a class, and the Cardinals ha- can't really name five guys who have been impact bats in two decades. I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the franchise's roots, right? You think where it started with Pat Gillick, and Pat Gillick was very much scouting driven, and uh, he also really helped the Blue Jays right off the bat create some inroads into the Latin American markets at a time where not all the teams were there and that continues to pay off and then there was for financial reasons uh, in the in the early 2000s where they pulled away from Latin America a bit uh, and then when Alex Anthopoulos took over from JP Ricciardi as general manager he made a point of reinstituting that emphasis on Latin America to to get back there. That led them to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That led them to Alejandro Kirk. Mm-hmm. And they've really done 
tremendously well in Latin America, which has definitely helped. Uh, they've hit on some players in the draft, Vernon Wells being one, Shannon Stewart, uh, Sean Green, uh, certainly come to mind, Aaron Hill for a period of time, Adam Lind. So they've had a number of, of successes, uh, but it, I think it all starts from that period of time where Pat Gillick said, this is going to be a scouting, drafting, and development organization. They put in a lot of work, and you know, they dipped again early 2000s for budgetary reasons they scaled back on some of their scouting uh alex anthopoulos pushed them to one of the most scout heavy teams in the in the league and the blue jays even though they're doing a lot more stuff on video like all teams are uh they still continue to have a very very big scouting staff and and what part is development in it then too i mean are there like either landmarks along the way or things they do to help some of these because they, they, they come in talented but they also like grow as hitters I mean if we, you can see the prospect rankings I mean Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came in obviously with a lot of celebration great name recognition great talent great power that we heard about from Albert Pujols that he was hitting home runs in Anaheim as a teenager um, but you have to like not just cultivate that you have to learn how to amplify it to succeed in this league. So what are some of the things they do there? Well, that's changed dramatically. And I will say that under the regime of Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, they've expanded the player development department to the by far the biggest that it's been at any point. And the Blue Jays have really gone all in on a lot of the new teaching methods and the new coaching methods. Uh, they have all the resources that any of the teams have uh, they two summer or two springs ago opened up their uh, a new spring training facility year-round they call it the player development complex uh, it's got state-of-the-art pitching labs got a state-of-the-art hitting lab they've got all the tools that they can use and they've got uh, a, an army of, of both coaches and analysts that they use to try and find little advantages that to find ways to help translate some of the data into a more snackable, digestible, uh, into more snackable, digestible language, mm. so players can apply it. And there's been a lot of emphasis on that. There's been a lot of trial and error. Uh, I was talking actually just today to someone who, uh, in the on the player development side, who said, you know, I look back at some of the things that we tried. I'm like, that was never a good idea. But they haven't been afraid to try things and fail. And they've been able to, by and large, get players to buy in. And even if you're just increasing the amount of improvement that you can coach your players through by a couple percent, you know, that's that's going to show up on the field and that's going to make an incremental difference. So that's really been something that's different uh, and has really dramatically altered the way this franchise works. Given all that that, you know, that entails and clearly investment in the infrastructure to improve team to the, the investment in some free agents, um, the eventual investment in keeping this talent in place that's, that's going to happen for them. Uh, is that enough to lead the American League East or is that enough to just kind of continue to finish somewhere in the middle of the I mean isn't that like the question that perpetually faces them is how much do they have to do to overtake and is anything ever enough to not just be in the conversation right and I would say that if 
they can are able to continue to develop players and that they're not always having to do things uh, through free agency or trade, mm-hmm. then absolutely. I, I think the Rays, I think what the Blue Jays, in a sense, would like to be is they'd like to be sort of a cross between Dodgers light and Tampa Bay Rays plus, right? Where yeah. you're you're squeezing out everything that you can get out of a player like the Rays do, but they're going to keep certain guys that the Rays can't and that they're going to, you know, augment and you know, bolster their group with the discipline and the opportunism of the Dodgers without tearing up their farm system and without taking their payroll into the, you know, beyond, uh, into the, beyond the, uh, the luxury tax threshold. So competitive balance tax threshold. So you can call it whatever it's, (laughs) right. And so, you know, I, that's the sweet spot for them, but you don't have to be a Yankees payroll, you know, Ultimately, the, the Rogers Center is going to go through a renovation uh, in the next couple of years. By 2024, it should be able to generate more revenue. Uh, the Blue Jays have definitely lagged, especially teams like the Yankees and Red Sox, in some of the premium seating uh, revenue. Uh, and if they can catch up there, they can push their, their payroll. They may not be top five, but they should be in the you know five to eight range. And with a payroll like that, with... You know, in theory, the the brains and the discipline of a, a raised type of front office, they should be able to be competitive for an extended period. What that what has been your perception? I'd be remiss not to ask you of the Cardinals in this series. Saw them two games, but kind of saw you kind of saw the worst and then some of the best of them. Yeah. It's a, a fun group. Uh, certainly, some of the, the focus for us here in Canada, we think about uh, Tyler O'Neill first and foremost, and Stubby sure. Cap, uh, Stubby Clap, excuse me, uh, and and certainly uh, there are two people that have a lot of connection here. But you know, Wainwright is remarkable in the way that he's able to, to still do it, and uh, at, at his age and. Uh, certainly Albert Pujols remains remarkable. Uh, would have been nice to have seen Arenado and Matt Chapman facing off against yeah. one another defensively at third base. Uh, and Two high school teammates. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, who I think we're uh, looking forward to see. Uh, at least I think Matt Chapman was very much looking forward to, you know, measuring up again against yeah. them. Uh, it's it's a it's an incredibly fun group. It's an incredibly talented group, and you know the Cardinals. No matter what happens, it seems they're always in the mix. And you think about model franchises. You know, I, I know that a lot. This front office looks to the Cardinals and and the way that they're able to continually develop pitching. I remember going back to you know when Michael Walker emerged and just hearing marvel for how the Cardinals were able to pluck him uh, later in the draft and then have him contribute as, as quickly as he did. So there, there's long been an admiration for the Cardinals' way, uh, and it's just it's just a, always a good baseball team, a, a team that doesn't beat itself. Uh, and you know, I think we saw that in the in the four games between them. It's if, if you're not at your best, they're going to be opportunistic and they're going to make you pay. Can, can you elaborate on Stubby Clap and Tyler O'Neill's place in the kind of Canadian baseball world? Um, both successful internationally. Um, you know, he, obviously Tyler was part of a gold medal winning team, I believe, as a youth. So, I mean, what's their place? I mean, are they? 
Well, I guess that's the question. I, I could take some guesses, but I'll just ask. Okay, so let's start with Stubby Clapp. And he was part of a team at the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. uh, a scrappy team that ended up far outperforming expectations and skill. They had a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of uh, big wins, and I'm my memory is fading so I'm not uh, they either beat the United States and lost to Cuba or beat Cuba and lost to the United States one of the two uh, but they won a lot of hearts and Stubby Clapp was the spark plug for that team and he became sort of this Canadian baseball legend and then he continually kept on coming up with big hits for Canada at different tournaments. There was a, a qualifier where he delivered a, a, a key, an Olympic qualifier where he delivered a key hit uh, in order to keep the Canadians alive and spark a comeback and allow them to, I believe that was qualifying for Athens or may have been qualifying for Beijing and he's revered within the Canadian baseball community. He's continually given back to the Canadian baseball community uh, so much so that Baseball Canada uh, named one of its awards after him that it gives out annually to uh, you know, the, the member of the, of the national team who displays the type of heart and hustle that was emblematic of his game. So, Wait, Is it the clap Award, the Stubby Clap Award, or is it the Stubby Award? <laughs> it, it is the Stubby Clap Award. Okay. <laughs> it is not just the Stubby. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. That w- it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, Tyler O'Neill is representative of the, sort of the next generation, right? Yeah. It, uh, he was uh, part of the World Baseball Classic team for Canada in 2017. Was that the last yeah. edition? Yeah. Uh, when things did not go well and you know, there was a previous generation of Canadian player that was aging out, and he was part of the generation that wasn't quite there. You know, him and Nick Pavetta were a couple of the kids right. on that team, and uh, Nick Pavetta ended up having a really nice start against Columbia, and then that was a bit of a springboard for him to breaking through in the major leagues. Uh, but now, you know, Tyler O'Neill is uh, established and is uh, a, a tremendous defender, gold glover, uh, the type of player who can make an impact and you know that that next wave of impactful Canadians uh, has come up emerged on the pitching side you think about Soroka you think about Pavetta uh, and some of the arms line there Jordan Romano closer for uh, for the Blue Jays who mm-hmm. as it turns out is going to play for Italy again in the World Baseball Classic oh, interesting. Um, because he played for Italy before when Canada didn't have a spot for him uh, so that there you know, there hasn't been a, a, another Justin Morneau just yet, or another uh, Larry Walker, or uh, a younger Joey Votto, and you know Tyler O'Neill is becoming a bit of that guy right now, and uh, you know he's certainly someone that uh, you know. It, it, there were a lot of comparisons between him and Brett Laurie when oh, uh, they were both. Uh, you know, super type A guys, uh, very competitive, uh, hard-nosed players who rose the ranks quickly. Uh, but, but Tyler O'Neill is uh, acclimated and adjusted to the big league level uh, more effectively and, qu- and much faster than Brett Laurie did. I, I get the sense he would have liked to have put on a little bit of a show here. <laughs> Two years talking about Chapman versus Arnado. I got a chance to chat, talk with Chapman in St. Louis when Toronto came there. Um, when their full roster, I should say, came there, um, the uh, Chapman, you know, talked about like that, about like just like kind of comparing himself defensively to Arnado, and it was interesting because you hear guys say that, 
and they're talking about at the big league level and when he says it he just means his life like it just means like the, the entirety of what he remembers of his life is just comparing himself to Arnado defensively um O'Neill this it was it was cool as men a lot to him obviously he's you know he grew up three hours north of seattle um but he was talking about like just having the access to toronto games and what it meant to come to play here and what it means for him do you think this is now here's a good question all right didn't the stars ever align where stubby claps the manager here well there was when the blue jays went through the process with uh with hiring charlie montoyo Stubby Clap was involved to some degree, and I'm not sure if he actually interviewed or there were just some discussions around it, but I know that he was considered and really respected and, and maybe viewed as, uh, at minimum, someone who could be a part of this coaching staff, depending on how the manager situation landed. Uh, I know... I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is a viewpoint that's gonna come from a lot of people who are definitely biased. But I know a lot of people in the baseball community who are like, Stubby Clap can definitely manage, yeah. uh, and it'll have players who will definitely want to play for him. And so, uh, you know, from what I know uh, of Stubby, he's always had great feel. He's always had. Uh, a great ability to connect with people, and that's a big part of what managing is. Uh, even though he's uh, has a reputation for being fun-loving and uh, a bit of a character, he demands accountability, and he has a good way, or is always at least with the Canadian national teams, always had a really good way about him of ensuring that there was that right balance between, you know, loving life for every second that you can, but really getting after it on the field. And he was very representative of. And I don't love this term, but sort of the Canadian, the Canadian way of playing baseball, the Canadian style, that hockey mentality, which is another term I don't always love, but the, but it's, it's sort of reflective of the way Canadians play. Like they get after it, they're going to go all out, they'll sacrifice their body, and it'll always put the team first. And you know, I, I think for those reasons, those qualities would certainly make Stubby someone who could be very successful as a manager. And survive the American League East? <laughs> I, I think he'd have the, 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 certainly face the adversity throughout his career, right? And he's somebody who always, you think about uh, his size and all the people who had told him along the way, you're too small, you can't do this, you can't do that. He just willed himself. Right, he willed himself to uh, a period of time in the major leagues. He willed himself to a long career. He willed himself uh, coaching through multiple levels, all the way up the chain. Uh, this is not someone who will back down from anything. Thank you very much for this comment. This has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. That was Shai Davidi, senior baseball columnist for Sportsnet. You can find his work at sportsnet.ca, that's sportsnet.ca, or follow him on Twitter, at Shai Davidi. That's S-H-I-D-A-V-I-D-I, Shai Davidi. Special thanks to him for joining me there after deadline, after the second game of the series, while they were, as you probably noticed if you've listened this far, while they were going through the process of cleaning 
Rogers Center. There. Nailed it. Rogers Center. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. It's brought to you weekly by Closets by Design of St. Louis. You can find the best podcast in baseball, which you just listen to anywhere you get your podcast, but clearly you've already found it. You can also find all of the Constant Cardinals coverage and all the trade deadline coverage at stltoday.com and on the St. Louis Post-Dispatches apps, including STL Pinch Hits. That's where you'll find constant updates, chats, all the things that we produce day in and day out, including kind of a new look to how we're covering game stories in order to get something more immediate up and then follow with a deeper dive the next day. So there'll be two different styles of game stories. One, kind of a quick hits, as we call it, that comes immediately after the game and kind of gives you context on what happened and details on what happened. And then following up the next day after night games with a 6 a.m. exclusive story that allows for a little bit more breadth of reporting and some storytelling on what went into the game or maybe even who was a more most prominent part of the game or who needed to be the best podcast in baseball is only what the listeners make of it this podcast has been going on for 10 years only because it continues to have strong support from listeners and that means feedback from listeners so let me know what you want rate and review the podcast at itunes so that i have a sense of where you'd like to see the podcast go here in year 10 and into year 11 and beyond stay tuned stay informed stay healthy out there talk to you soon